This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. We're joined right now from her home here in Seattle by Meg Rowley, the manager, managing editor of Fangraphs. She does some writing there as well. You can catch her on the Effectively Wild podcast. One of the co-hosts there, they are beginning their uh, season preview series, which is always a great prep listen for those of us uh, who do this for a living. We say hello to Meg. Meg, it's great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, we are thrilled that you're here, and we're excited to talk some Mariners, talk some fan graphs, talk some Major League Baseball in the hot stove overall. Uh, let's get right. Let's get right to the heart of the matter here, Meg. Exciting news on the Mariners front. It's not yet official. Uh, there are physicals that need to be passed, uh, but widely reported that James Paxton is coming back home to the Mariners on a one-year deal. Uh, I'm curious to your thoughts uh, initially when you heard of this news. It struck me as a deal that made a lot of sense for both sides, right? So Seattle has said they want to engage in a six-man rotation. Paxton is clearly looking to rebuild some of his value after being injured and ineffective as a result of that injury. Um, so I think that he's a great fit for a roster that needs rotation depth. Um, if they are able to get a healthy James Paxton, that's easily one of the best starters they'll have in their rotation. You know, we don't have to give Mariners fans the book on, on Paxton. They've uh, got to root for him before, but um, it just seemed like a, a really good fit. He gets to hopefully launch himself back into free agency after one year, having pitched well and stayed healthy, um, hopefully regained some of the velocity that he saw dipping down uh, toward the tail end of his Yankees tenure. And the Mariners get another reliable arm in a rotation that, you know, has a good deal of upside, but also has some questions. So I, it made a lot of sense to me. And I think that in a, in an off season that has been quiet, as far as the Mariners are concerned, you know, a little bit of good faith to your fan base goes a long way. Um, it's nice that he will be a contributor this year. I don't mean to knock Ken Giles, but you know, when you're signing guys like that, where a year of Tommy John rehab is part of the package, it's, it's not quite as exciting for folks who are hoping to see someone buttress a, an emerging young core of Mariners baseball. So I was excited for him and for the fans because it's always nice to have the big maple. I guess we're stuck with the big maple. We're not, we're not getting rid of that, but I think, I think he's stuck with the big maple I think, more than anything. <laughs> I think the best news about Paxton coming back home is that he can, he can have some scruff again. I mean, he right. the, the beard game going back. Cause he remember, I remember when he went to the Yankees, Within hours, he had signed a like a razor deal with Braun <laughs> and was showing off his clean shaven face, which I think, you know, James just he's a man. He's a man of the wilderness. He looks good with a little scruff. Yeah, I think there are, you know, there are plenty of baseball traditions that we have seen sort of wax and wane of late that. Uh, we are sad to see go, but I think that a little um, loosening of the reins in New York around their facial hair policy would be a welcome change for for most baseball fans. So. I think a mustache. He's got to go. Great <laughs> look. Yeah, he he had that at various points while he was still in Seattle, if I recall correctly. So maybe you can convince him to just bust it out for the for the whole year. Although, if he has any hiccups uh, with his health, he'll probably end up shaving it all off just out of superstition, right? So I think the division is in a pretty interesting spot. Where do you see the Mariners fitting in this year with? What's going on with Oakland and Houston and the Angels and everyone else? So 
I, I think that there's been this conversation in uh, Mariners fandom about when, you know, when is the next window of contention opening up? And we're all very anxious to see that happen. You know, my my fandom has sort of waxed and waned over the years. And I think that um, just by virtue of my role, I'm less, you know, in the weeds than I used to be. But um, there was all this talk of 2021 and then 2021 came to be 2022. And I think that the team's assessment of where they are right now is pretty accurate, um, even with the A sort of soft happening that angels team has a bizarrely sort of high floor. Once you have Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon on your roster, if you can surround those guys with a 500 baseball team, you're going to be a postseason contender. And I know we keep saying that. And I you know, know this will not be a popular opinion among Mariners fans, but I, I keep begging the baseball gods to let us watch more Mike Trout in October. Um, I think that their odds are a lot better than the Mariners. So at Fangraphs, um, we have the division's, sort of stacking up, I think, the way you'd expect it to with Houston at the top, followed uh, by the Angels. There's a bit of a gap there, right? We project a, a five-win difference between those two clubs uh, and then the A's and then the Mariners, who we do project to have a sub-500 record. Um, and even with reinforcements from the farm system, that doesn't seem likely to change to me, but um, they have an opportunity to kind of figure out what they have this year, right? Um, this is a club that when it does hopefully start to sniff the postseason again is going to be driven largely by um, prospect talent they hope is going to sort of realize its promise. And 2020 is a bad year for a club like that, right? Where you don't have a full minor league season. The competition that guys are seeing at the alternate site doesn't really mimic game activity the way you would if they were, you know, spending the year at AAA. You're not getting to advanced player development in quite the way you want to even with fall instructional league. So I think that if the team is looking at this as a year to sort of figure out what they have, are the guys who they think are going to hit and be potential perennial all-stars really as good as they think? Are there guys whose, you know, roles are going to get dialed in in a way that's important on the pitching side? If you can take advantage of that um, and then hopefully have a, you know, a semblance of a good core and a willingness to spend money come 2022, the picture looks really different. I don't think this is their year. Uh, and I know we're all tired of saying that, uh, but I think that if they can make good developmental use of it, it won't be a year wasted. Meg Rowley is our guest here on the Hot Stove Report. She is the managing editor, among other things, at Fangraphs. Meg, I want to pivot a little bit to uh, more of a fan graphs conversation because it's not very often we get to speak with somebody who is so interwoven with one of the the major uh, websites or publications within the game. But we will start on a slight Mariners bend to this. In terms of things coming up on Fangraphs.com, there's some exciting reads uh, coming our way as soon as tomorrow that Mariners fans will probably be very interested in. Sure. So we're in the midst of prospects week at Fangraphs, where we look at um, prospects from amateurs all the way through to the minor leagues. Uh, Wednesday, our top 100 hits. So I know Mariners fans have been gobbling up uh, our our fellow publications. Top 100 will get our um, sort of stake in the ground uh, tomorrow. And um, I think that Mariners fans will be pleased with the sort of representation that they see there. Um, I think as of last count, there are six Mariners in the top 100. Um, and then, you know, if you're looking at ahead toward what this draft class might look like for Seattle, um, we've updated our draft rankings. There are some updates on the international signing side. So if you're trying to get a sense of what the farm looks like now and what it might look like in the future, there's a lot there for you. So we hope that folks will check it out. Will people like your rankings more than Keith Law's rankings? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't. 
don't want to <laughs> I don't want to make anyone feel too bad about this. I would just encourage folks to to read the content of those rankings in addition to paying attention to the the ordinal rankings themselves. No, Meg, all that matters is the number <laughs> that precedes the name. And if, if Julio yeah, if Julio's number is double digits and starts with a two, then, I mean, somebody has to be fired, Meg. (laughs) You understand this, right? I I think that the thing that Mariners fans should be focused on right now is that this is easily the best farm system the team has had in quite a while. Everyone in prospect land, every public evaluation site thinks that this is a good farm. How good kind of varies publication to publication, as you noticed, you know, some places as high as two, some places as low as 13. Um, But this is a good farm. It has quality prospects. Some of these guys are going to be really exciting. Not all of them are going to hit because that's what happens with baseball prospects. But um, I, I think that the thing for folks to kind of concentrate on and keep remembering is that you know, sometimes the difference between an ordin- between ordinal rankings is small. Sometimes it's really significant, right? There's Tampa way up at the top, and um, the difference between them and number two is not just Wander Franco, but um, this is a good farm. Prospect evaluators like the prospects you want to root for. It's okay. Everything's okay. This is not the time to panic. The time to panic comes later if they don't perform well. <laughs> but this is not when you have to panic. You should save that. My mom always tells me you should save your panic for when you really need it so you can lean in. So don't you don't have to do that yet. That's okay. <laughs> save your panic for when you really need it. That is great advice. <laughs> yeah. We we should have some experience with this, you know. Our postseason drought can drive on its own without anyone else in the car. So, you know, it's okay, guys. <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, congratulations to you and everyone at Fangraphs. I know uh, this year has been pretty challenging for everyone uh, running a baseball site without baseball for a significant portion of time is a challenge. We love the site. We think it's great. And Thank you. congratulations to everyone there for what has been a tough year. Thank you. Yeah, we um, we had a hard year, but our readership really rallied. Um, I think that, you know, the baseball community can be quirky and sometimes we fight with one another, but we tend to do a pretty good job of having each other's backs when we need to. And we would not be here today if it were not for the support of our our readers. So um, I appreciate what you're saying, but also I think I owe thanks to everyone who has signed up for a membership or visited the site or shared our work because um, there wouldn't be a fan graphs today if it weren't for that. So Meg, I am curious, your role in the baseball community is, is a massive one and you've been in it long enough now where I feel like you've, you've probably settled in, you're feeling a groove to it. 2020 certainly threw a curveball at everybody, but uh, you've got a good feel for the job and the expectations now that you've done it long enough. I'm I'm curious, what is kind of a day or a week in the life of the managing editor at fangraphs.com like? Um, Well, you know, I think a lot of the day to day, the the general sort of form of it is the same. The content that goes into it can vary, um, and it depends a lot if it's the off season or if we're in in the full swing of baseball. Um, but you know, the the basics of it is making sure that 
baseball news that needs to get covered is covered, that we're asking interesting questions about how the game is being understood by front offices, how it's being understood by players and fans, and trying to provide our readers with, you know, a, a tidbit about something that they didn't know before. So um, a big part of my job is, you know, making sure the lights are on and the pieces are going up and that hopefully there aren't too many typos in them. But um, the other part is, sort of having a general sense of the baseball landscape and making sure that we don't have any gaps where, um, you know, there's, there's gotta be a free agent signing post for, you know, for Trevor Bauer, we have to have coverage when there's a big extension or, um, when a big trade goes down. So, um, we have to do that stuff, but then, you know, I think part of what I do is I poke around our website the same way our readers do and the same way that other folks in the industry do. And um, often I will, you know, if I spot something that I think is interesting because of how busy I am on the editorial side, the form that takes now is me pinging someone in our Slack and saying, Hey, uh, did you notice this guy's repertoire is different than it was? Or um, I wonder who this off season, you know, who's contemplating a six man rotation can actually do that with any kind of um, any kind of depth or certainty. Um, so, so a lot of it is assigning stuff. And then, you know, some of it is strategic site direction stuff. So um, trying to think of new features or new parts of the site that are, um, our readership might find interesting and, and, you know, talking with other folks on staff to try to make that happen. So it's a little bit of different stuff every day. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks, it's generally been a free agent signing hitting at an irritating time on a Friday afternoon, but that's part of the job too, right? <laughs> um, making sure that that stuff goes up. So, um, you know, I do a lot of that stuff. And then because of the um, work that I do with Ben Lindbergh on effectively wild, I have to, develop my own opinions about a lot of different facets of the game. Um, the number of just things that I have to have a developed opinion on, whether it's baseball or whether we should do stuff on Twitch or what our podcast strategy can be. You know, there's a lot that when I was sitting there saying like, I find, you know, the way that James Paxson's fastball plays really interesting. This is kind of far removed from that, but um, I'm doing a bunch of that stuff and then trying to have my own perspective on the game that I can share with our listenership on effectively wild and sleep somewhere in the midst of that. So it can kind of, <laughs> it can kind of vary, but um, it's, it's really exciting. Most of the time I would do without the kind of excitement that we had in 2020. I don't know that I need to revisit that particular um, kind of existential terror ever again, but, um, I, I do appreciate the variety that the job affords because, um, you know, when I worked office jobs, I, I often found myself in this terrible combination of being both stressed and bored, which is just, you know, <laughs> soul crushing. <laughs> um, and I don't have that experience with what I do now. And I work with really great people. So, uh, it's a little bit of everything and what that mix is on any given day can vary, but it, it tends to be exciting and interesting and it definitely keeps me busy. Meg, this has been such a treat to visit with you and uh, well, thank you for your time to, tonight, but also for all your great work uh, on fan graphs and, and all of the good things you do on the plug on the podcast platform as well. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks so much for having me. That is Meg Rowley, the managing editor at Fangraphs.com. We hope to see you back at T-Mobile Park next season. And when you're ready, you can attend the games you want, select the seats you want, and secure the savings you want, all for when you want, with the Mariners 2021 Flex membership now available with no deposit required. For more information, text 21 to 71532. More hot stove coming right up. 
All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hot Stove Report rolls along. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill are joined now by the newly named AAA manager for the Seattle Mariners. He'll be in Tacoma all season long. Former Mariner himself, Christopher Negron, joins us. Christopher, it's great to see you. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Things are great. I'm excited. Some uh, some exciting times going on already. So I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Now we're thrilled. Christopher is joining us from his home outside of San Francisco in Napa. And Christopher, this is it is a good time to be Christopher Negron, man. You have had uh, the, probably the best month or 45 days of your life. Uh, we're going to talk about what's going on for you on the field this coming season. But first, we got to talk about something even more important, man. You and your wife, you are parents-to-be for the first time to twins, my man. Twins, congratulations. Tell us all about it. Yeah, so uh, some very exciting times. Um, I mean, I've been wanting to have kids my entire life. And then once baseball, once I retired, you know, we kind of had a sit down. I was like, you know what, now it's, now it's a good time to start growing our family. And we didn't know it was going to double in size. We're super excited. We, uh, we found out they're going to be uh, two boys last week. Uh, we found that out. So my mind immediately went to shortstop, second base combo. Um, and I can see the Little League fields from my backyard. So I'm, I'm, we're, I'm super excited. My wife's super excited. She's feeling great. So um, come June, uh, it's going to be definitely a little bit different. Yeah, I like that you went to the double play combo right away. That's great. I've carried I've carried about thirty gloves with me every time I went on a road trip in baseball. So what's carrying two extra more for 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 the boys? So I think I'll be all right. What What does the name discussion look like when you're needing two names, both boys? I mean, have you guys already? I assume you've probably already started digging deep into this. Well, what's going on there? Yep, we have our list. Um, we're not sharing it. We we've gotten a lot of advice. <laughs> from a lot of people about names, so that's we're turning we're trying to starting to figure out that we should just not share them till uh till they're born so sure. whether people like them or not it doesn't matter just between my wife allison and i but uh the funny the funny conversation is trying to figure out which name to use for which boy <laughs> the first one's name this second one's name that or we wait to see what they look like i don't i don't i don't know so it's it's we've had some pretty funny talks i did not think of that angle that's a good point yeah. What are you going to do to balance this with your new day job? You have left the uh, player development side uh, from a kind of holistic approach. And now you are the AAA manager for the Mariners. You mentioned a summer birthday for these two little guys. What are the plans and discussions between you and your wife and uh, Jerry and Andy McKay as to how you're going to handle that? Still need to have a sit down with them and try and figure out exactly <laughs> what the plan is. But my hope in, uh, is to, to come back and, you know, whenever they're going to be born and, and, and help my wife out um, for however many days I can get. But uh, no, it's going to it's going to take a group effort over here. That's for sure, since it'll be in season. But my family's close by her family's close by and we have a great support group here. Um, so my wife and she's strong as hell. So she's going to she's going to be in for quite the treat, but she's a tough woman. So um, there's no doubt in my mind she'll do great. How excited are you to manage this year? Very, very. <laughs> We've been on a We've been doing some uh, some group calls with the staff um, the past couple months and just seeing the relationships um, grow just in those two months, just via Zoom, um, has been great. And, and the staff has been, I've known them all, Josh and Derek, our trainer and, and high-performance coach, were mine while I was there as a player. So I've known all these guys for, for you know, for a couple of years now. So it's been a lot of fun these past couple months just kind of going over 
you know, what we can do as a staff uh, once season starts. So once we all get together, it's going to be just that much more fun. New Rainier's manager, Christopher Negron, is our guest on the Hot Stove Report. Christopher, how long have you known that you wanted to be a manager? I think it was always in the cards. Um, as I got older in baseball, um, the past, when I'm 35, so the past handful of years, I started kind of gravitating towards helping all the younger players out. And that just kind of became my role um, just as a leader and as, as a veteran player in AAA. And even going up and down, being an older player, even when I was in the big leagues, even though I didn't have as much service time as some some of the other guys, I was an older player. So trying to help out the young guys and the rookies, it just it's it, it was very fulfilling and I had a lot of fun with it. And working with guys in the clubhouse, uh, my locker was next to Fraley's and, and Bishop and, and Timmy Lope. So guys like that, that I was able to connect with and, and help them out in Tacoma and then play with them in Seattle. Um, that kind of just really lit a fire into me, like, the managing and, and kind of leading, trying to lead that next group of, of young men into the big leagues was going to be um, on my radar for sure. You played in a lot of different places. You played for a lot of different managers and coaches. Who are some of the guys that you look to in this role to take from? Um, I've, yeah, I've been a lot of influence. Rick Sweet was my first manager um, that I had in AAA when I was with the Reds. Um, and that was like my first taste of, of that level. And, and he helped me out a lot. Um, a little tough love, but that's exactly what you need. You know, you need the truth. You need to know what's going to get you to the big leagues and what's going to keep you there. So he helped me out a lot. And just thinking back, my I went to junior college here um, out in Sacramento. My my uh, my coach there, Tony Bloomfield, um, he really, really molded me into the type of player that I was. So if I can, you know, take the little bits and pieces that he taught me, even at such a young age, and uh, apply it to uh, this upcoming season to the players, I think uh, it'll be um, it'll be it'll it'll work well for all of us. Christopher, what do you make in terms of what kind of mindset you need to have to manage at the different levels? It's kind of like being a, a elementary school teacher, right? Like it takes a little bit different to teach in kindergarten, to teach in fourth grade, to teach in sixth grade. For you being at the top tier of the minors in AAA, you got guys coming back down from Seattle. You got guys who are itching to get there for the first time. You got the strange balance of personalities, young and veteran. From your experience as a player, what does it take to actually manage not so much on the field but off the field those personalities at that level? That's the great thing about this position is that I've experienced everything these guys have. You know, they're going to be going through what they've been through, being up and down, um, not playing every day, um, just those kind of struggles, and 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 it's mentally exhausting. Um, just as soon as you go up for your 15 days or or whatever it is, and get sent back down, whether you're playing well or not. Like that's, you know, it gets in your mind a little bit. So just trying to keep these guys sharp and just focus on uh, just kind of being where they're at, you know, where their feet are, um, just take care of their business um, at the AAA level. And then, you know, the main goal is to to get to the big leagues, but you can't get there without handling uh, your own business where you're at. So just trying to work on their mentals and uh, just keep them positive. And it, it's a tough road. You know, I mean, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So it's just getting them to realize that they can do it and they just need to focus on where they're at and uh, good things will happen. How much of an advantage is it that you've been in player development in the organization? You were at summer camp. You, you've already been around a lot of the guys that you'll be managing. How much does that help to start this process? I've been uh, the alternate side helped out a lot. And I was in summer camp and spring training last year and just getting to know the players. I've known, I've, I've known a lot of them just from, from being, team, being their teammate. But um, a lot of the players in the organization I've been able to talk to and chat with and just kind of build those relationships up because that's – that's a lot of a lot of this game is just is building your relationships, getting to know these players, getting to know these guys, um, 
So, you know, you can have those conversations with them, whether it's good or bad, but you know, it, it's just a level of respect and, and holding them accountable, holding myself accountable to those types of things that is really going to make the organization and its players grow. Are there some challenges kind of with certain guys changing the relationship from teammate to manager? So far it's been all right. Okay. It, it is kind of funny when you're having to sit down and, and you're just kind of laughing about it a little bit, but I think being the older player when I was a teammate um, helped that out because I was able to have those conversations when I was, you know, you know, boots on the ground with them on the field. So I think that just, it just has like a little, a little layer of respect in there. And, and I love these guys. I'm very, I mean, they're friends, they're, you know, former teammates. So, you know, I want what's best for them. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'll give them that harsh truth that they need it. Cause I'd be doing the same thing if I was their teammate also. We're joined by new Rainiers manager, Christopher Negron. Before we get to more from Christopher, a reminder that the Mariners have teamed up with Bloodworks Northwest to host another pop-up blood drive at T-Mobile Park this month. Sign up today to donate blood and help save lives in our region. Plus, if you do, you'll receive a Kyle Seeger bobblehead. Thanks for Root Sports. Visit bloodworksnw.org slash donate to make an appointment. Back with more with new Rainiers manager, Christopher Negron, right after this. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Christopher Negron is our guest. He is the newly named Mariners AAA manager in Tacoma, a former Mariner himself. What is it that is going so right these days in player development for the Mariners, Christopher? Because not only is the talent there, but the process seems to be there as well. What can you share with us about that? I mean, we've done a great job with bringing guys in um, to younger levels, to the higher levels. I think it's just a testament to the whole staff here. The front office does a great job of the type of people they're bringing in, the players that they're bringing in, and just kind of preaching, like you're saying, is our process. Um, that's the main thing that we try and focus on is that you can't control the results and what goes on. You can't control whether your ball falls. You can't. That's stuff that you just can't worry about. You know, if you worry about your process, how you prepare. Um, and how about how you go about your business is how you're going to be successful in this game because you can control those factors. And the more you can worry about and focus on the things you could control, um, the more successful you'll be. And I think that's been trickling, you know, at every level in the big leagues, um, down AAA, down to every level. And that once people, I mean, a lot of the guys are, you know, feeding into that and buying into that, and you, you're just seeing, um, you're just seeing us take off slowly but surely. Tell us about your relationship with Andy McKay. Andy boss man. So he, uh, he was the, it's kind of a funny dynamic. I don't know if you guys know this, but he was the head coach at the rival junior college that I went to out here. Yeah. I couldn't stand him or his program. I knew nothing about him, but the fact that he was the head coach at our, at our rival school, I wanted no part of it. But, uh, when I got traded here in 2018, I ran into him in, in the lunchroom in Seattle and I was like, Oh, how's it going? So I actually formally met him and, and was talking to him and, He's a brilliant guy. I absolutely love him to death. So I've been able to, it's kind of funny how the things completely turned around um, once I actually got to know him. And, and the guy's a brilliant mind. He, he knows, I feel like he knows everything. If I have any questions about anything, um, he's on top of it. And being able to kind of learn under him this whole entire, this previous season, sorry, Linus or Lucy, um, just to learn from underneath him at the alternate site, um, we shared a suite together and we were just constantly talking about baseball, managing front office, anything you can think of. The guy is just an absolute genius. And uh, I couldn't pick anybody else to better to learn from than Andy. Okay. Oh, we, we have to clarify uh, 
Linus, or in this case, Lucy, is one of your cats who is <laughs> ambushing you in the midst of your interview. Yeah, she always tends to, she wants to be, always be on camera. I don't know what her deal is. We continue our conversation with Christopher Negron. He is the Mariners' new AAA manager in Tacoma. Uh, Gary referenced your time at the alternate site in your previous role within the organization over the summer. Uh, we, we've had uh, a glimpse into it from a number of guys who have joined us on this show and who we spoke with last summer as well. The dynamic that we've heard about from Jared Kelnick and Logan Gilbert about their n- never-ending battles all summer long it seemed like something that we might look back on in however many years from now and say, man, how cool is it back then when these two guys were doing this and nobody was watching and now they're stars in the show? What can you tell us about what that time was like specifically for those two guys? Those two are some of the most competitive people I've ever seen. You, uh, again, Gilbert's one of those guys that when it's his start day, I didn't want to look at him that much. You know what I mean? I kind of looked at him when he wasn't looking at me. It was kind of one of those things. And Kellenick is the ultimate competitor. I was making the lineups one night, and uh, his room was conveniently located across the hall from mine um, at the hotel. And I was making the lineups one night, and Gilbert was throwing. And without even thinking about it, I had them on the same team. And I sent the lineups out to, the, to, to all the guys. And within minutes, I got a knock on my door. Doom, doom, doom. I'm like, knocking on my door this late at night. I open the door. It's Kellenick standing right there. And he's just looking at me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you got? <laughs> and Kellenick and I, we have a great relationship. We go back and forth. We rip each other. It's, it's awesome. But he's like, why am I on Gilbert's team? I need to face him. Like, I, I want to I face him. I'm like, oh, I didn't even cross my mind. It didn't even, I was just making the lineups. And he immediately saw it. He wanted to face, you know, he wanted to face the best. Every day in and day out, ultimate competitor. And Gilbert was the same, same thing. Like I always asked him, like, hey, is there any guys you specifically want to face or anybody you want to do that? And he's like, doesn't matter. Put in Kellenick, doesn't matter. So those guys, just the, the competitions that they had, and they had some, some, some good at-bats. And, you know, some of them, Gilbert won some, Kellenick won some other. But it's, it's a good learning experience for them both because they are top competitors, top talents. So it's, it's kind of when those guys were uh, facing each other, it kind of just feel like the whole game stopped and everybody just wanted to sit there and watch. In a such a unique circumstance, facing kind of the same guys every day, it feels like when you have ultra-competitive guys like that, they really need one another, especially in those circumstances. It, it was a tough environment. Like, it, it's, you know, every, it was the protocols and the distancing and everything and having a certain amount of guys trying to play in their squad games. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It was a tough environment mentally, physically for everybody. And I think that those, those matchups just kind of fueled it. And, and you got people chirping from the, from the outfield. Like we were trying to make it as competitive as possible. Like if you wanted to smack talk, you know, from the outfield while somebody was hitting, you know, let, let's go ahead and do it. You know what I mean? Let's keep things fresh. So th- the fact that those guys got to face each other day in and day out uh, was, was, a, was a, I mean, the development between the two of them in just those few months um, was great. Hey, you got to take the field a lot, right? Yeah, I played, I played some first base, played some outfield. Um, not, I didn't get hurt, which was good. Um, I used to joke around because I had turned a couple double plays and gotten a couple rundowns and stuff. And there's a, there's a plaque inside the uh, manager's office for, uh, Tacoma Rainier's defensive player of the year, 2019. So I used to just walk around with that every once in a while. Cause it was me and, uh, just kind of brag about it. And I've always joked around saying, you guys keep messing up. I'm going to activate myself type of thing. But 
um, which I have no power to do and I wouldn't do anyway. But it was just kind of a running joke with all the guys. Like, I keep messing around. I'm going to take their jobs. I miss player coaches in baseball. I think that should happen this year with the Rainiers. I love the idea. Manager, co- manager, player. If it comes up, I always got all my gloves and my spikes handy. Yeah. My, my, I'm going to be a little slower, but I, might, I, I, can, I can still put on a uni and go. Christopher, isn't it bizarre to you when – I mean, you've had so much good happen in your life in such a short period of time uh, recently since in, in just the last couple of months as we referenced with uh, twins on the way and now a managerial job for the first time in your career. It, how surreal is it for you to think that just a couple of years ago, really, you were playing for that team and now you will be managing that team? Do you allow yourself to kind of zoom out a little bit and think of all the great things that you've been able to accomplish since retiring from on the field? I've been, I've been truly blessed. Um, I didn't, my wife and I, when we were going back and forth about retiring or not, it's kind of, it's nerve wracking because you don't know exactly what the next chapter is going to be. You know what I mean? It, there's only so many jobs in this game and it's hard to stay in this game, but you know, the Mariners, you know, trusted me and, and brought me in and I can't thank them enough. Like this has been an unbelievable experience. Um, last year with like a hybrid type role for an office on field, um, and then now transitioning to on-field and managing. Um, I truly have been blessed. The Mariners organization has been great to me. And even when I was a player, I absolutely loved it here. And uh, I couldn't picture myself anywhere else. I do think about the way your career ended, too. And just kind of that storybook finish, you know, going to the Dodgers and helping the run uh, to the postseason. And just in the last moment, the last hit. I mean, describe what that last time was like as a player. From my first at-bat when after the trade, hitting a home run in Coors Field um, in a Dodgers uniform. That was, that was really special. And, and, it, and just rounding it out with my last career at bat in San Francisco, you know, which I, you know, I grew up out here um, with all my friends and family at the game, and I was able to get a single. And nobody knew it was going to be my last at bat, except for maybe my wife. <laughs> We've had random conversations about it. But standing at first base um, in San Francisco, playing against the hometown team, my last career at bat, I, I literally was standing at first base getting teared up because I knew that that was probably the last time I was going to be on base, you know, as a player. So it was pretty surreal. It was kind of a, it was, it was a nice ending. It was very fitting. So that made it a little bit easier to retire knowing that I had that happen. But yeah, it was, I get excited and a little choked up thinking about it because it, again, it wasn't that long ago, like you were saying, but I, I had a great career. It was so much fun. I wouldn't change any bit of it. Um, I met a great, I met unbelievable amount of people along the way that I still have relationships with this day. So um, I've been very lucky. Christopher, thank you so much for hopping on with us here tonight. Uh, we're so excited for you and your wife for the twins coming this summer. And, and we're so excited to uh, see you in the dugout in Tacoma uh, all season long. Thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for everything. That's Rainier's manager, Christopher Negron. We're back with more on the hot stove. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now it's time to wrap things up here on the Hot Stove Report. We had a jam-packed program, and tonight we let off with Mariners catcher Tom Murphy. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming off of a 2019 with the Mariners where things just kind of seemed to come together for me for the first time uh, in the big league setting. You know, I knew I had had that type of success in the minor leagues, but uh, to be able to go out there and do it at the big league level, you know, not only gave me enough confidence that I could do it myself, but also I think it gave the team enough confidence to realize that, you know, I was, I was ready and prepared for that role. 
It was great to get a national perspective on the Mariners from MLB Network's J.P. Morosi. You guys probably are anticipating this moment a little bit more than me, but I'm like like close second. When the Mariners are back in the playoffs at gorgeous ballparks, rocking, I, I am going to be the happiest man after you guys to be there. So I can't wait. It's coming. Uh, Jerry's done a great job. Kelnick, the great Wisconsin native, it's going to be tremendous. So I, I can't wait to watch the Mariners here in, in, in the days ahead, in the years ahead as well. Don't forget about Eric Swanson. He could factor into the Mariners' bullpen this year. My velo's good right now, so I'm kind of happy to see it back again this year and uh, feeling stronger too. So. Always a pleasure to catch up with Meg Rowley, the managing editor at Fangraphs. It struck me as a deal that made a lot of sense for both sides, right? So Seattle has said they want to engage in a six-man rotation. Paxton is clearly looking to rebuild some of his value after being injured and ineffective as a result of that injury. Um, so I think that he's a great fit for a roster that needs rotation depth. Um, if they are able to get a healthy James Paxton, that's easily one of the best starters they'll have in their rotation. And finally, joining us on the program tonight, new Rainiers manager Christopher Negron. As I got older in baseball, um, the past, whatever, I'm 35, so the past handful of years, I started kind of gravitating towards helping all the younger players out. And that just kind of became my role um, just as a leader and as, as a veteran player in AAA. And even going up and down, being an older player, even when I was in the big leagues, even though I didn't have as much service time as some some of the other guys, I was an older player. So trying to help out the young guys and the rookies, it just – it's. It, it was very fulfilling, and I had a lot of fun with it. Man, what a great show tonight. Our thanks to all of our guests who join us this evening. And, Gary, for people who maybe missed part of the show, they want to hear it again tomorrow, where can they find us? Don't worry. At Mariners Pod. Mariners.com slash podcasts. If you haven't been there, you can follow it at Twitter, at Mariners Pod. You can find them. I mean, you can listen tomorrow. You can listen the next day. You can listen every day until the next show, which <laughs> is probably the thing to do. Find it wherever you find all your favorite podcasts. Right. And we hope that this quickly becomes one of yours. Our thanks to all of tonight's wonderful guests for Gary Hill, for Bodie Rook running things for us inside of the studio. I'm Aaron Goldsmith. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday at 7 o'clock.